like to invite you to pray with me one more time. Pray for your own hearts at this moment that you will be open to the word that Ross is going to preach. And would you pray for the people around you right now, our brothers and sisters and new visitors, that they will also be able to hear the word and believe that we will be reminded of God's word. Now take a moment to pray for Ross, that he will be filled with the Spirit as he preaches, that it won't be his own words, but God's words spoken to us. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to come together here um, and to worship your name together. As we sing, how wondrous your cross, Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that you saved us and that indeed we can say that we are not afraid of death. Thank you that we can be here together in your name and I pray that we will realize even more how wondrous the cross is, how wondrous you are. Pretty things in your name, amen. The scripture for today is Hosea, Hosea 2, um, and it is Hosea 2, verse 2 to 13 in the Black Bibles in front of you. You can find that on page 751, and I will be reading out of the NIV instead. Hosea 2, 2 to 13. Rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip her naked and make her as bare as on the day she was born. I will make her like a desert, turn her into a parched land, and slay her with thirst. I will not show my love to her children because they are the children of adultery. Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes and I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. She will chase after her lovers, but not catch them. She will look for them, but not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my husband as at first, for then I was better off than now. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold, which they used for a bill. Therefore, I will take away my grain when it ripens and my new wine when it is ready. I will take back my wool and my linen intended to, intended to cover her nakedness 
So now I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. No one will take her out of my hands. I will stop all her celebrations, her yearly fest festivals, her new moons, her Sabbath days, all her appointed feasts. I will ruin her vines and her fig trees, which she said were her, her pay from her lovers. I will make them a thicket, and wild animals, animals will devour them. I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the bales. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but me she forgot, declares the Lord. Thank you. So about 12 years ago, um, I was earlier on in my walk with Jesus Christ. I um, was less mature than I am today. And um, I mean, I really had a love for Jesus. I would even go and tell other people about him sometimes. But there were, there were idols in my heart. There were, there were things that sometimes I placed above him and that drew me away from him. I think a lot of things that I was chasing after was academic, athletic, and social success, ways that I could be affirmed. And as I reflect back on that time, I noticed something really interesting, is that it was like I met kind of like an invisible wall that was keeping me from getting the things I wanted to get. I couldn't quite get the thing that I was going after, even though I wanted it. And as a result, there were some seasons in my life that I felt pretty downcast and sad. I just remember one story. Um, my, my senior year, I was on the soccer team, and we won one game the whole year. We lost every other game. And I remember we were playing in the last game of the season. It was a district playoff game, so if we won, it would have been an amazing upset, and we would have gotten all the glory, and everyone would have been talking about us. We are playing against the Eastview Lightning. I hope no one here is from Eastview. Um, and we were down by one goal, predictably. And then I had like the best play of my career and I had this pass that turned into a goal and all of a sudden the game was tied up. I was thinking, man, we're so close. And so a few minutes later, I, it's still etched into my mind. I see their, their, their star player, this giant forward, just run right over our defender. Just left him laying on the ground and take the ball, dribble it down the field and score a goal and end my soccer career in high school. And I was just sobbing after the game. I remember being so sad. Um, no matter how clo close I came, I just couldn't seem to break through that invisible wall. Something was holding me back. And the question I want to ask today is, why does God keep good things from us sometimes that we believe would make us really happy? If he's a good God, why would he do that to us? Or why is it that if, if I really think that um, this thing would help me, is God mean or is he uncaring if he keeps it from me? Because we know in a lot, of, a lot of times in this life we want things that we don't get. And since God is all powerful, the question I want to ask is, is he being mean when he doesn't give us those things? And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're here today, I want to address you too. Because... Maybe you're asking the question, why does life seem to be so hard sometimes? Why can't I just ever really realize my goals or achieve what I've been trying to do? 
And this passage today is going to help us answer that question. It's going to answer why life can be hard, why we meet invisible walls, and why God sometimes keeps things from us that we want. So just as a quick recap, we just got done with chapter 1. And at the end of chapter 1, it ended on a high note. God was saying, I'm going to take the the curse that you guys experienced because of your sin, and I'm going to turn it into blessing. I'm going to restore, I'm going to fix what was broken. And then in this chapter, if you were paying attention, when, when, when Samaya read it, things went downhill pretty fast, didn't they? This, this text is more of a somber note. It's more of a sad note for us. Um, and, just, and just to bring to mind what's going on, there's actually a metaphor here. And the metaphor is that God told Hosea, the person who wrote this book, to marry a woman who Hosea knew would be unfaithful to him and to bring up children that were probably from other fathers. And so as you're reading this text and you see the text talking about an unfaithful woman that's going to be punished or children of adultery that are going to be punished, it's not talking about this specific family being punished. It's talking about God punishing the whole nation for their spiritual adultery and unfaithfulness to God. So that's kind of the background. I think, that, I think this passage is a little difficult to understand, but if you understand that metaphor, that's exactly what's going on. So my, my first point today is the severity of sin, and it's from um, verses 8 through 13. And I'm starting at the end of the passage and working backwards because in the beginning of the passage, there's a concept that God teaches that only makes sense if we understand how serious of an issue sin is. So once we understand how severe of an issue sin is, then we can talk about the other things in the passage. So let's take a look at verse 8. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold, which they used for the bales. So in this passage, we see a list of gifts. These were the gifts that God gave to his people to keep them alive. And what we see is that they forget about the God who gave them the gifts. And they disregard him. And they elevate the gift above the giver. This is one definition of sin and idolatry. And what I want us to understand is how ugly this is. Like when I hear that sentence, idolatry is putting gifts above the giver. I don't necessarily have like an ugly, like that's so ugly, a response to that verse. But that's exactly what it is. This is a very ugly verse. And if we responded to it rightly, like our guts would kind of like churn within us. And the reason it's not ugly is because we can't understand what's going on all the time. We have this abstract picture of God, but he's actually a really concrete person. So one, one thought that comes to my mind, I want you to think of this with me, is let's say there's, there's, there's a single mother. And she has a really tough life. She has what you call a dead-end job. And she has a son. And she wants so badly for the, her son to succeed. She doesn't just want her son to have a good life. She wants her son to have a better life than she had. So what she does is she takes on extra jobs, weekend shifts, 
And the reason she takes those shifts is that she, she, just so she can provide for the family, but also so that there was enough money left over so she could send her son to college one day. And when he's that old and it's time for him to go, she gives him that money to go to college. But instead of going to college, he wastes it all. He goes to parties. He spends it on girls. He spends it on all sorts of things he shouldn't spend it on. Can you imagine what that would do to his mother's heart? Can you imagine how her heart would break when she saw him? Son, what did you do with all that money that I worked so hard so you could have a better life and now it's gone? There would be a feeling of disgust and he would say, Mom, I'm so sorry. I, I shouldn't have done that. And we can sense in that example that that's a really ugly thing that happened. But God's a hundred times better than any mom could ever be to her son. And so if you multiply that, that by a hundred, or a thousand, or a million, we're starting to get a sense of what it's like when we sin. So if we move on to verse 13, it says what God's response is. It says, I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the bales and decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers. But me, she forgot, declares the Lord. So if that son were to say to his mom, Mom, I, I just forgot. I forgot that's why you got the money for me. Yeah, he forgot. But it's not an innocent forgetting. It's a culpable forgetting. He's responsible for forgetting. It was an intentional suppression of the truth so that he could go and act out of his selfish desires and do whatever it was he wanted to do. And whenever we forget a gift came from God and go and act against him, it's never because we made an innocent mistake and forgot. It's because we suppress the truth that God made us and us and everything else belongs to him. And we go and we commit a sin intentionally. So here's a definition of you for sin or idolatry. Sin is when we make the gift ultimate and forget about the giver. So sin can be a really ugly thing like murder or theft. But it also can be an innocent thing, your marriage, your job, your kids. As soon as you take something and make that thing ultimate, and forget about the giver. We've done something that is offensive and saddening to the heart of God. And we should cry about it. We should weep about it. We should be upset about it. I want you to think for a moment of why. Why someone gives a gift to someone else. Why would anyone ever give a gift to someone else? Why would someone go through the trouble of picking out a gift and wrapping it up and putting in a bow and writing a card and giving it to someone else. The reason you do that is because you want a closer relationship with someone else. That's the reason God gave us everything he gave us. That's the reason why you have that amazing body that you live in right now. That's why this building exists. That's why the world exists. I was stunned by how beautiful today was. The reason God gave us that good gift was so that he could be in a closer relationship with us. 
And so every time we just forget about him and go and act in disobedience, we're making the gift ultimate and just forgetting the giver. It'd be like he, he handed us, he handed me a gift and said, Ross, here's a present I have for you. And instead of saying, thank you, I love you, this is such a good gift, I just go run away to another room and rip it open and greedily use it and destroy it and just leave it laying on the ground and run away. And he comes and finds it laying there like I didn't even care about it. So verse 8, verse 8 says, She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine, and the oil, who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. And I know this text is talking specifically about the people of Israel, but it exposes my heart. Because I still, after over more than 10 years of walking with the Lord, forget about the giver, make the gifts ultimate, and do something that's just really ugly. Now, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're in the room, I think this help could help answer hang-up for you. You might think, why does the Bible make such a big deal out of sin? Like, why, why, is the, why are Christians always talking about sin and what Jesus came to do? And the reason is, is because sin is such a severe, weighty thing. Sin is as weighty and severe as God is holy. And God is perfectly holy. God is majestic and mighty. And so when we sin against him, it's a really serious thing. And I think it also can answer the objection to why, why isn't just living a good moral life good enough for God? Like, what if, what if I just went to work, shook everyone's hand, helped the old lady cross the street? Isn't that enough for God to accept me? Don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery. And it's not. Because even if you use his gifts rightly, but you never have a relationship with the one who gave the gifts, then you've acted like he's not important at all, and you've acted like the gift is what matters. And I don't know how else to put it, but it's the, it's the worst thing I've ever done. And there's a tragic irony in sin. The tragic irony in sin is that you really are trying to make yourself happy with one of the things God made apart from God. But in the end, if you don't turn away from your sin, if you don't forsake it, if you don't run away from it, you're going to lose that gift. You never get to keep a gift forever if it's your idol. Look at what Hosea 2.9 says. Therefore, I will take away my grain when it ripens and my new wine when it is ready. I will take back my and my linen intended to cover her naked body. If you make something ultimate besides God, you lose it. Here's something I want us to remember, I want my heart to remember, is that if we don't turn from our sin, it will eventually take everything and everyone we love away from us. And so I just want to invite anyone here 
who has a sin that you don't want to part with right now, to part with it. Because if you do, one day when you're with God forever in his new heavens and new earth, you'll get, you'll get that thing back. God gives you everything if you just put him first. We only lose everything when we just have to put something ahead of him. And just as a matter of personal disclosure, um, I don't feel this doctrine like I should. Like, I need to grow in this. Like, I, I rarely have moments where I weep over my sin. Like, I know how serious it is in my head, but I don't feel how serious it is in my heart. And so I just want to challenge us as a church to grow in our awareness of sin and how weighty and severe it is. And why would we do that? And it's not, it's not so that we'd be sorrowful, mopey people who are like, I'm such a sinner. No, it'd be so that our joy is more in Jesus when we remember that he forgave us and washed our sin away. That's what I want for us. I want us to be more joyful people. And ironically, when we feel the weight of our sin, we're prepared to love Jesus and thank him for what he's done. So that's point one, the severity of sin. And point two is God's merciful fencing. God's merciful fencing. And I'll explain what that means. And it's going to make more sense if we understand how severe sin is. So let's read Hosea chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. And these verses are going to be kind of like a summary of 8 through 13, but a little, close, a little shorter. It says, I will not show my love to her children because they are the children of adultery. Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my olive oil and my drink. And verse 6 says, therefore, so verse 6 is going to be God's response to his people's sin and idolatry. And the first question I want to ask is, what does that word therefore mean? It's a really important word in the Bible. The word therefore means that what comes right after the word therefore, the reason for that is what comes right before it. So what verse 6 is, is God's response to his people's sin how he's going to deal with it. And I think we should be asking, if, if sin is as bad as I just said it is, and I believe it's worse, like how is God going to respond to that? Is he going to pour out his anger? Is he going to put on, pour out his wrath? Is he going to end his people's existence? I mean, that's what I would expect him to do if they'd acted like this towards him. This is what he says in verse 6. Therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes, and I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. Think about that for a moment. What is that even talking about? It's kind of a curious phrase. I will block her path with thorn bushes and wall her in. What that's talking about is probably the trails that the people would go on to go to the temples to worship false gods that they shouldn't go to. 
And so God's saying, I'm going to put obstacles in your path to get to those false gods who you're worshiping besides me. And this is a book of prophecy, so it's probably metaphorical language. It's probably symbolic of God saying that whatever idols you have, whether they're your prosperity, whether they're um, anything that besides me, I'm going to try to thwart and impede your progress to get to those idols. What this might be like is like if there's a little baby crawling towards a fire, and he thinks the fire looks so bright and shiny, but it's going to hurt him so much. I think anyone here would reach down and take that baby away from the fire, wouldn't you? This is essentially what God's saying he's going to do here. He's saying, your, your, your bodies are going to get sick. Your harvests are going to fail. You're going to lose battles. And the reason that's going to happen because I want to keep you from your idol. I want to keep you from the idol of prosperity that you've replaced me with. And this does not sound pleasant at all. Um, none, of, none of that sounds pleasant. I wish it was more pleasant, but it doesn't sound pleasant. But what I want every one of us to see is that it's love. This is so loving. It's crazy. Like if we understood what God was saying here, we might stand up and start dancing around. He loves us so much. I mean, think about it. If you had a friend, and this friend was just making the worst decision of their life, they were going to jump in the car, and they were going to go and fight someone. But the person they were going to fight was so much stronger than him, and it was a crazy person, and you knew your friend was probably going to get killed if they got in that car. And you didn't know what to do. And you found a pocket knife, and you popped all their tires to stop them from driving away. Do you think that friend would be very happy with you? But if it saved their life, if it saved them from losing everything, wouldn't that be the loving thing to do in that situation? Shouldn't we be amazed that God acts like that towards us? It's absolutely amazing. Here's one, one sentence I would like you to remember, if you can. When God restrains his people from sin... By taking away their means of sinning, it's mercy. Let me say it another way. When God keeps his people from sin, by making it impossible for them to go sin, by taking away the thing they were going to sin with, that's mercy. That's a merciful thing. And he said that he's going to do it to his Old Testament people people of Israel. And what we find in the New Testament when we read it is that he actually does that with us too. He's that loving to do that to us as well. If you take a look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, it says, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, 
do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Now, when I think about my own life and I think of instances where this happened with me, where my idol was attacked by God and I was saved from it, I remember I was upset about it. I was like, God, what are you doing? Why are you messing, messing me up? Isn't that our response when, when God is stepping in to help us by taking away something that we think will make us happy, but it will just hurt us? We think, God, what are you doing? We're like, we're like an angry kid who, who, who's like reaching, reaching his hand towards the, the stove or the oven, and he shouldn't, and we snatched it back. He's like, oh, I wanted to touch that. Or, um... Or this would never, ever happen, of course, but what if one of the daughters in the Choi family lit her hair on fire with her own birthday cake? <laughs> Maybe her dad would reach across the table and put her hair out with his hand, and she would kind of get upset about it. Like, Dad, why are you touching my hair while I'm having a birthday party? I'm touching your hair because you lit your hair on fire, sweetie. And I just want to challenge all of us here to not get angry at God when he takes away an idol from us. But instead to marvel at how loving, how merciful, how amazing, how good he is to us. It's just so angry, easy to be angry when we don't get our way. And I think a lot of times it's just God being so much better to us than we deserve. Because if what I said about sin is true, that one day it will take everything and everyone we love away from us, and God goes to great, great lengths to keep us from doing that, we're talking about the most amazing person that any of us have ever imagined. This is truly a loving, loving father. Because at the end of the day, he's the source of whatever makes us happy. He's the source of our joy. He's life. If you lose God, you lose life. If you lose God, one day you lose happiness forever. So any wall, any fence, any thorn bush he puts around you in your path to keep you from going away from him is just love. It's just love. Okay, what might this look like in our lives? Maybe, maybe a job is an idol to you. and you find yourself in a situation where you lose your job or you can't find a job and you're so mad at God because you don't have your job. But maybe it's worth considering that God is keeping you in that moment from something far worse than not having a job. Or maybe there's another person you really like. You, you might be in love with her or him. 
but you know that if you're with that person, they're going to lead you further away from God rather than closer to him. And you decide to go after that person anyway. So I don't care. I just want to be with someone. I don't want to be alone. And then through nothing you did, the relationship ends. It comes to a close. The person breaks up with you. What a sweet work of God to keep you from ruining your faith, even though you might be so sad in that moment. I mean, any number of things can happen. And I want to point out one that might be the, mo- the greatest one, the greatest way God calls us back to himself when we're stuck in our sin. Maybe there wasn't a barrier. Maybe there wasn't a wall. And you're just there and you're indulging in your sin. But then all of a sudden, all your pleasure in that sin evaporates. It just goes away. And you find that your sin that you were hoping would make you less miserable is making you more miserable. That's a low point to be at. When you run away from God and you're with the thing you thought would make you happy besides him, but it actually made you sadder rather than happier. And that's an invitation for him to come back to you, for you to come back to him. And you probably think, I can't go back now, because look what I've done. But that's not what this verse says. Look at verse 7. She will chase after other lovers, but not catch them. She will look for them, but not find them. She will say, I will go back to my first husband. As at first. For it was better off than now. That's why God would take away your joy in your sin. So that you would come back to him. And so never suppose for a second that when you're at that low moment that he is not calling you and inviting you back to him. That's why he took away your joy. So if that describes anyone here, if you've just been persistently sinning, 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 and you wonder if you can come back, and you've lost all your joy even if in your sin, and you recognize that it was better with you before than it is now, come home. Today. Don't stay there any longer. Whenever our idols fail us, is an invitation back to our better husband. And he is better than any other husband we could invent for ourselves. Um, Fathers, Dan, on Father's Day, um, you are a blessing to us because every time you say no to your children, or have said no to your children when they're doing something that would mess themselves up or mess someone else up, it's a picture of the kind of God we're worshiping. And I, and I bet that in those moments, you would long for your child to see that. <laughs> they probably don't. <laughs> but you would long for your child to see that. And our, our father longs for us to see that when he says no to us, when he puts a fence in our path, when he puts a thorn bush in the way. I want to address those who are following Jesus already right now. I really believe there's someone in here 
He was running through walls. He was climbing over fences. You go after your sin right now. Maybe you haven't told anyone. Maybe no one else in the church knows. It's time to come back. It's time to repent. This sermon is God's call to you to put that sin away. If that's you, would you, would you please tell someone before leaving the building today, so myself, another pastor, one of the members in the church here, would you say, hey, I've been, I've been stuck in this sin and it's time for me to be free from it. And everyone here, no matter if that describes us or not, we're all too comfortable with our sin. Every one of us are. And I actually have good news for you. Jesus wants to be more intimate with every one of us than he is right now. And the only way to get there is to put more of our sin to death. So who's ready with me today to put the next layer of sin to death that you've been waiting to put to death, that you know you have to, but you've been procrastinating? Today's the day. There's more intimacy with God that we're missing out on. And it's time for that to stop. He's too good of a God to miss out on. And I want to address anyone here who's not yet a follower of Jesus and just ask how this applies to you. At some point in your life, you're probably going to realize, I hope you have already, that the pleasures of this world are just empty. Maybe it takes until you're 60 to realize that. Maybe you realize that when you're 20. What a mercy when you come to that realization that you know that the idols in this world aren't going to save you. You could come to a God right now today who would actually make you happy forever, who would actually meet, fill up that hole in your heart. I think the clearest example of this I've ever heard this person's not a believer yet, but they came to this point of realizing that this is the case. Um, someone who I talk about a lot during the football season. He's uh, my favorite quarterback. His name is Tom Brady. He had um, an interview in 2005 when he was 27 years old. He had just won his third Super Bowl ring at 27 years old. He's the top of the world. He had an interview with someone from 60 Minutes. It's a news TV show on CBS. And this is what he said to the interviewer. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I think, God, there's got to be more than this. So even if you get your act together and you win three Super Bowl rings, you're still going to be in the same place you are right now, spinning your tires, wondering why this world is not enough. Unless you come to Christ. And so if anyone here actually wants to be satisfied, I just invite you to, to talk to me, talk to any of our members after the service. We'd love to talk with you, answer your questions, pray with you to receive Christ, baptize you, any or all of the above. I also want to ask how this would, would change our community. 
if we really believed that sin would take everything we love away from us and that keeping others from sin is a loving, good thing to do, how, how would that change how we act? Let's take a look at verse 2. Rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. We would share God's desire to keep our brothers and sisters from wandering off into sin. We wouldn't be negligent. We wouldn't be passive. We wouldn't say, oh, God's going to make sure they don't sin, so I don't really have to do anything. Instead, we would try to keep them from going to sin with our words, especially. See that word rebuke? That means we would talk with other people about sin in their life. We would bring it up. We would ask questions. It wouldn't be all we talk about in our community. We talk about a lot of things in our community, but one of the things we talk about in our community is sin. And I know that's against the culture here. This is Minnesota. You're not supposed to talk about unpleasant things. But if you love someone, you will. And we'll do it in a way that's so compassionate, so kind, so loving, that no one could ever think that we didn't love them when we brought it up. That's what ruins it, right? When, they don't, when someone doesn't believe they love you and you're talking about their sin. Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Maybe we'd be a community where friends faithfully wound one another from time to time. That sounds so countercultural, so strange to even say. But it's what the Bible invites us to do. And it's not all we do. We, we show love and there's times of joy, but there's also times of faithfully wound. God fences us in from the things that would destroy us so that he can give us life. Where the fence is around, keeping you wandering away, what's in the middle is God and he gives life and joy. And I just want us to leave today with a vision of what it's like to be staying near to God. Not trying to push against the boundaries, trying to get away. If we're not trying to get away, if we're staying with God, close to him, the Bible actually says it's his presence that's going to fence us in. Isn't that an amazing thought? Like his presence is so close to us, it's just everywhere around us. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying not to press against and climb over the walls and the fences. I'm trying to be fenced in by the presence of God. That's why I'm running away from my sin. Psalm 139 says, You hem me in behind and before and, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is, is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And I ask, why? why? Why would God concern himself with this? Why would God care so much that he would get into the nitty-gritty of our lives and keep us from committing sins that would take us away from him? 
the only answer is his son Jesus, the perfect son, died in our place. And that's why God loves us so much that he would commit himself to keeping us from doing things that would take us away from him. So what I talked about is a severe mercy, but it's so merciful and so loving. And we have Jesus to thank and praise and worship for this. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for keeping us from sin even when we didn't understand what you were doing. Thank you for keeping us from destroying ourselves. And I ask that in those moments when they come up, we would respond with love and gratitude, even for hard things. And that we would experience your presence even more than we ever have before. Please help whoever needs help turning from their sin right now to do it. And who's ever feeling a fence or a wall right now, help them not to run through it. Help them in the pain. They might have cut themselves on the fence. To say, God, you were good to do this to me. And get glory for yourself, Lord. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.